Hey there! <clears throat> hey there, welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits. Coming to you from Emma's deathbed. <laughs> Emma, no, this I'm is, sorry, this is like this is the chain smokers edition. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to pass it over to John, so I'm a little sick, so I'm just going to stay on mute most of the time. Yeah, great. Take it, John. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Motorcycles and Misfits podcast coming to you from sunny Santa Cruz, California. Well, we're here, and uh, Liza's on her deathbed, so she's going to... I've got your your disease. You passed it on. Sorry. I guess we shouldn't have been French kissing, huh? This is why we shouldn't go to dinner with friends in the middle of the week. (laughs) There you go. I've told you about this before, Liza. Well, we have an incredible podcast for you today. A, a veritable potpourri of wonderful things. But let's talk about is who's it, in the room first. Is it, is it a golden shower of piss for entertainment <laughs> again, John? So, in the room, on the board, on her deathbed, she's laying on the ground with one hand <coughs> on a knob. It's our fearless leader. It is me. It's Liza. And over on the classy girl couch, as usual, the classiest classy girl in the room. We have Miss Emma. Aloha, darlings. I feel fine. Tra-la-la. There we go. And uh, and me, you can just call me Stumpy Bergman. Stumpy Ooh. Bergman in Jim's spot at number so, 10. Um, Wait, and Bagel will be joining us. We started early, yeah. so yeah. we didn't give him a heads up. He'll be coming in in a second. Yeah, so, um, no, I'm thrilled that you're enjoying the Bergman so much, John. And now you're talking about making cosmetic improvements. I know, yes. So I know you kind of dig it. Because uh, the bike looks better than you? Are you looking to trim some stuff? Uh, Both of us are looking to trim some stuff, me and the Bergman. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's a slight crack on one of the sides. You can't really see it Mm -hmm. the way it leans. But yeah, let's, let's fix it, man. Let's make it perfect. Oh. Wow. I know. He's taking some pride in that. Yes. You should always take pride in your ride. I think it's interesting. Uh, he, Yeah, how much he's enjoying it. I've seen him scooting around town. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's great. What a great way to get around town. You look like you're sitting on your throne when you ride it. I am. I am. I, I, I'm trying to fit a toilet uh, seat on there, too. That would be perfect. I feel very much at home. Exactly. Well, surely the the proper color for it would be porcelain white. It would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, it's been great. And uh, Miss Stumpy loves it too. So we've been tooling around together. And uh, we went to the um, Woody's on the Wharf yesterday. And we got to, you know, we filtered our way all the way through up to the very front, which is awesome. That's a scooter life, baby. Can you tell people what Woody's on the Wharf is? <laughs> yeah, because... We're, we're all might be very excited on the... Do, it was do not a, Google that. No, you can't. It's safe. Yeah. <laughs> Woody's on the Wharf is every year they do, a, you know, the old Woody's cars and trucks that were, you know, the surfy things. Okay. So for our overseas listeners, there was a peculiarity of station wagons made in America that the back section of the car was made out of wood. Um, and why did they do that? Well, it was a very, very expedient way of building 
Steel was at a premium at right. the time during the war. But it kind of carried on afterwards, and it became something of a feature. And the cars themselves are known as Woody's. Now, this occurred in England as well with the famous Morris Traveller. They had a whole class there of Morris, And there, I've seen minis down here. Yeah, they're mini countrymen. There was an Austin, I think I saw too. Yes. So, I mean, it wasn't a purely American phenomenon, but nevertheless, a Woody, as well as describing a male's genitalial style erection, mm-hmm. is in fact a station wagon with the back half, or an estate car with the back half of the body made out of wood. And you remember the ones that used to do the plastic vinyl wood, too, just to... Oh, in the 70s. Yeah, yeah it was all the thing. Hey, Bagel. It's the Bagler. Hey, bagel. Thanks for joining us. We started early. So- I got wood in the back, too. <laughs> Do you, have you got okay. wood in the back as well? Right there. Oh, I can see that. <laughs> Big stack of it. Yes. <laughs> I can make my own woody. Um, how's bagel li- is sporting wood today. How's life in Velveeta today, Bagel? It's nice and uh, beautiful weather, and I uh, went for a nice ride with the Eugene Scooter Club today. The Eugene Scooter Club. Well, nice shout out to them. Tell us about the Eugene Scooter Club, yeah. Bagel. Or actually, I'm sorry, the Eugene Vespa Club. <clears throat> They're oh. a, a small a small group of uh, of people here in in the in town um who uh plan rides and today is uh i think national vespa parade day or something like that did you have so a parade? parade i saw a group of vespas go by the garage today oh that must be why yep that would have been the santa cruz scooter club big i'm feeling a little salty by the way because I, I get i get zero waves now on the bergman i get no waves from the motorcyclists and i get no waves from the scooters it's a, I'm I'm a bastard stepchild of motorcycling. You've you've got to find you find yourself some other Bergmans to wave to, I guess. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, it could Bergman. be worse. You could be riding a Morphus. That's true. Oh, Nobody yeah. waves you on a Morphus or a PCH. Um, so I have been sending Bagel some videos from Japan of the Morphus Owners Club, which I hope you've been enjoying, ah, yes. Bagel. Yes, it's quite outlandish. <laughs> Some of these things are about 16 feet long. They're sort of like another yeah. morphus stuck on the back. They, yeah, they, well, they look like aliens or something. <laughs> They're bizarre. So I wanted to share, going back to the Woody's on the Wharf, we had a, it's not really an incident, <coughs> an incident of sorts happen here in on my street yesterday, yes. early evening. Well, we do in the summer, we get what's known as the beach traffic, living close enough to the beach. Sometimes you get uh, so many cars trying to come to the beach that they're backing up onto our streets, you know, blocking. But in this case, there were so many cars down my street trying to get going away from the beach. I'm like, that. Yeah, see, it is the end of the day. I, could, I guess this is beach traffic. So I got on my little mobility scooter thing. And I went down to the end of the street and it loops around to this next street over. And I saw a cop car down on the main street here mm. and cars that were going down this adjacent street to the wharf were being redirected around and up my street. Mm. Oh, because they were trying to get the woodies off of the wharf so they oh. can go to all of their hotels. <coughs> and as he said, these cars overheat easily in the traffic so they kind of blocked all the access down to the beach so all these woodies can get off the wharf but what happened was so they're directing them down if you just imagine like a a, a square of of streets right they're directing them down towards the beach i mean off of the away from the beach back up my street into the traffic that's backed up from all the people trying to turn right to go down to the beach Mm. and it became an infinity loop 
of a traffic jam. <laughs> Great. And I so I went down to the cop to to let him know. I'm like, hey, just so you know, it's like the, the snake eating the tail here. Like <laughs> it's all feeding into itself, and they're just everyone's just stopped. And he's like, oh, they'll figure it out. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> I was like, all right then. Santa Cruz's finest. <laughs> I thought I thought that was funny. But yeah, Woody's on the Wharf is always a big, fun occasion. There's always as many Hawaiian shirts out there as well. I don't know what the two have to do with each other. Yeah, and I mean, you know, car culture in California is still very much alive and well. Of course, in August, Monterey, it becomes car week, with the highlight being the Pebble Beach Concorde Elegance Mm -hmm. on the Sunday. But the whole week up to that point is just this cornucopia of car events emma have you ever gotten the car bug Did you, have you done i mean the, i like cars you know i mean i i like things with engines but um her, yes yeah, i'm not as in, has I, yeah. i'm not as into cars as i am into bikes i mm-hmm. mean i like my jags yeah but the reason i like jags is not necessarily because i'm particularly fond of jags i mean they're great cars but it's very luxurious <clears throat> and they look nice and they go quite quick and that's uh, a good criteria. I can me. answer that question. When we first met you, you were driving a piece of shit little Japanese truck that no decent car loving person would drive. That was a purely functional and affordable yes. car. That was all it needed to I was, do. I was very that poor. Was then. All it needed to do. <laughs> so I think when we first met, I just gone. I just foreclosed on my house, and I go, oh God, I was so broke. I was literally, I didn't have two hapenies to rub together, so it was very much form-following form function. But yeah, I remember that. That was that little shitbox Mazda, wasn't it? The little green one. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So, um, we, we, it was, you know what? There was a moment in the garage today. It was a moment. Where I, I kind of took it all in. We had the vampires many had just returned from their week weekend rally and we're all just hanging out in the chairs there was a coven of them sitting around the table when i arrived just hanging out and doing what they do henry and charlie and doug you know the usual gang and then there were some other people who had showed up to work on bikes i was working on a bike our friend chris showed up to work yes. on a bike you had some people brought you an engine. You were in the garage helping some people work on an engine. And it was just one of those days where I was just like, this, this is this is everything in the garage. You've got different people helping different people with different mm-hmm. projects. There's things being done, and there's other people who are just sitting around, shooting the shit, enjoying just being here. And, like, I, I just had that moment. Like, this is everything. This is everything I ever wish and, and that I enjoy the garage to be yeah it was fun yeah but poor chris this was his first time coming to the garage i've known him for many years but he had a ttr 125 project yes. punched out though right to well he said he got it for like 250 <coughs> bucks or something oh wow with a blown engine so he yeah rebuilt the engine punched out to 150 uh cc's and um Put it all together and rode it for a couple hours and then put it away where it sat for a while. And then some rats got into the wiring and chewed a bunch of the wiring up. So we got oh. in there with crimp connectors and just did what he had to do. But from that point on, 
the bike wouldn't start. It's got a kickstart and an e-start, but the e-start wouldn't work. So he brought it in and I said, well, pretty simple. And tell me if I'm wrong, Emma. I said, let's first check the continuity on the starter. And that, that'll tell us, you know, which side of the, the starter right. do we need to chase this down? Let's start in the middle and then work our way from there. Is the starter have power? Right? Right. And, and is there continuity to the starter? So if it has power and it has continuity, it should be passing the power on. Well, there wasn't power to the starter. So now we knew, okay, we're going to work back from this half of things, right? And um, <clears throat> Doug came over and he was like, well, now hold on. Did you check the fuse? And he checked the fuse. I guess there's a spare fuse and then just one fuse. I guess it's a very simple right, system, right? right? Meanwhile, I told him about Occam's razor. The the most likely source is the most likely source. So why don't we unpack all that wiring that you just, you know, patched up? And let's unpack all that and let's just inspect all that and trace some wires. So he gets into it and he's un- unraveling stuff and we're finding um, there's a wire that doesn't get in game power. Or he's, he's spending hours digging through this. Well... We did finally, as we're and, tracing, and I should point back. out, when I arrived, this thing was just—it looked like multicolored wet spaghetti <laughs> yeah. covering the bike. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And because he was using butt splice connectors, he's like, "What's what's better?" People have told me butt splice is better than a solder because vibrations can ruin a soldered connection. I'm like, "Oh, hmm. soldered connection, hundred percent." Yeah. That's the better connection. And since he had used butt splice, I'm like, yeah, just do it. take all the tape off. So he was working on it quite a while. Doug was helping him. Different people were, I think, Emma, you were checking it out. He finally figured it out. Did you Did you hear what the what the result was, John? I did, yeah. And we were creating jumper wires to jump from here to there and trying to, like, <clears throat> you know, go through the system and figure it out. Well, they finally found out what it was. The fuse. Because <laughs> apparently... And I'm going to throw Douglas under the bus a little bit. He already knows because he admitted it. He pulled it out and looked at it and said it looks good and put it back in. <clears throat> While we had two testers out there, one set to, for continuity, one for voltage, mm-hmm. he didn't throw the tester on it. Mm-hmm. And so the lesson that we constantly learn over and over, never build on an assumption with electrical. You need to verify every step of the way. You know, um, you really do. And whenever I get a particularly tricky diagnosis in at the shop that involves electrical issues, and funnily enough, another friend of Mike Miranda, Dave, brought me in a Harley Davidson a couple of weeks back that just defied any kind of help you know some bikes really want you to fix them and some are like fuck you i don't (laughs) want to be fixed i'm sleepy and i want to stay dead and this harley was one of them it didn't it defied everything but i always try and imagine the current flowing through as a journey and in the little yamaha's case the journey's end was the starter yeah, And so at some stage between the start and the journey's start was the start button. 
So at some stage between the start button and the starter itself, you know, there was a, a schism, a break in the journey, and you've just got to find it. Ten minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that one, um, never make assumptions about anything to do with bikes. And just because it looks okay doesn't mean it is okay. Yeah, it's just, it's just such a shame. We had both multi, we had two multimeters right there. <clears throat> just, just use them. Don't visually inspect anything electrical. That's my advice. Um, but he got it running, and then I think it ran like shit, and then yeah, you, you I mean, diddled it, and it sounded great. Yeah, it was super, super fat. And this again is an assumption that a lot of people made. He had a perfectly on tune carburetor with, I think, a 110 or a 120 main jet. And his assumption was, now the bike is a 150, I'm going to need to put a bigger main jet in it. more. And it's, that's kind of, that's kind of half an assumption. And it's actually the wrong one. Because if you overbore an engine, it does not necessarily need any more fuel. It doesn't necessarily need a bigger carburetor. And if you put a bigger one on, it won't necessarily give more performance. Now, in this case, that bike left the factory with a 26mm carburetor, which is plenty for a 125, and in truth, is plenty for a 150. So, all we needed to do with the carb was get the larger jets out, restore all the settings to factory, which was close. Mm. And then I just did a bit of final diddling and got it so it was just absolutely perfect. And that, my friends, is the recycle way. Took something that somebody had made it basically just a bucket of parts, you know, and Chris got it partway there, and then we helped him just get it all the way there. And the thing that I found the most gratifying was ultimately the bike was going to be for his 13-year-old daughter. Yeah, isn't that cool? And so what we wanted to do was make sure this thing was as user-friendly as possible so she didn't have to struggle with it. Because she's just starting out. She's just learning how to ride a motorcycle. So we wanted to make sure the carburation was super crisp. The starting was super easy on it. That she could just swing her leg over, hit the button, fire the bike up and ride it. And not not give her any trouble. So she actually begins to enjoy riding it. And not get terrified of it and think, oh, no, this isn't for me. Yeah, he was telling me too. He's got a couple of like PW50s, and he's, he's a couple smaller kids, too, and he's doing it the right way, getting all three of them uh, up on two wheels. Yeah, I felt good about that. John, you came to the garage today bearing a gift. Yes. Not for me, not for Emma. It, although it could have been for you. Yeah, but it you didn't. Yep. You gave a gift to Jim. Yeah, I figured Jim, uh, Jim seemed like the right candidate for this situation. You know, so... Jim and I are getting older, you know, we got hair coming out at different places at different spots, and it's a little scary, young people. You'll you'll see later down the road. It's like you lose the hair in the right place and you get it in the wrong place. Oh, I just realized what that one thing does. Okay, yeah, go ahead. There it is. So, you know, this is why we're so excited about, you know, our sponsor, which is the Manscaped uh, Grooming Products. 
So hopefully all you guys out there has have logged on and, and put in Misfits20 as the code at manscaped.com and have signed up for your Manscaper. I have to say, I was impressed with that box that Jim got. It's cool, isn't it? There was many things in this box. There was so many attachments. It was, it was, uh, there were more things that, than what came with my router. And they're pretty much... When, <laughs> yeah, it's like a Dremel kind of thing, where there's a massive amount of just different things you could stick on your Dremel. And there are things that go in things and things that go over things. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I was trying to, I just, is the one thing for the, for the ears? That's for the ears, yeah. Oh! For the ears and the oh, nose. I figured it out. Okay, yeah. I didn't the know struggle what that is real, was. gentlemen. The struggle is real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know yes, a lot of is. you guys out there need the uh, need the ear thing. So, so you really should go to manscaped.com and 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 remember, Misfits twenty is is to get your twenty percent discount off there. And you know, let's talk a little bit about what Jim got. He got the performance package four What he gets is the the four trimmer, which is absolutely the best trimmer for your for your for your bolitos. <laughs> but he also got um what what uh, Liza was talking about he got the the weed whacker ear ear and hair trimmer which kind of goes up all into those parts right there you can jam it up your your sphinky if you want to I can't help but laugh <laughs> <laughs> um he got the uh he got the crop preserver ball deodorant everybody needs ball deodorant uh yeah Ask your partner that one It's hard being a man it, it? it is man it's it's got stuff going on down there and crop reviver toner and he got a pair of performance boxer briefs and a travel bag for all his goodies, as well as all the little bits and pieces. So, you know, the Lawnmower 4.0 is the best they've ever done. It will really take care of your jewels well. There's no nicks. Nobody wants to nick your scrote. It's just not a fun situation. And, uh, and the, you know, with the ceramic blades that they have on the, on the, um, on the trimmer, it, it helps that. The thing that's great about it, it's got a 4,000K LED spotlight. So it will absolutely what? light up the room. So you can really get in there and get in all those little wrinklies that we all have there and uh, make sure wow. that you get all the uh, get all the tools. So so it's waterproof. You can take it into the shower. You ain't got to pull all the stuff on the bathroom floor. It is the best deal in men's grooming. And I just want to, again, encourage all of you to go out there, type in Misfits 20, get you that discount of 20%, free shipping. And uh, you should do that right now. Actually, you should press pause on your podcast. Go on there, get on manscaped.com and insert that code misfits 20 and order the order the uh the the great box of stuff that you get there you go cheese <laughs> bagel have you gotten yours yet? from under <laughs> i have not but uh, I, I i think I, I think i need one of these to be honest um, <laughs> my, my old my old nose hair trimmer is literally falling apart do you, hey. do you, do you have weeds and, uh, <laughs> there there's some weeds yeah that need trimming <laughs> Right, and you know, like I've been saying, the seventies are over, so it's time we, for all of us coming to go out of all kinds of places. And um, if I could just take this opportunity to remind people that this is, in fact, a motorcycle podcast, oh, just in case that you were just tuning in. <laughs> got to get rid of the clippings. John's talking about mowing his if you, te- testicles. Hey, if you all could see my testes, you'd be very proud. We don't want to see them. <laughs> oh, no. I will. I will say. He started using the Manscaper around the same time he started riding the Bergman. Mm-hmm. And he comes riding in like... Oh, king like of the world, baby. King of the world. And I'm like, oh. I can't tell which one of the things has been, been it for him. But. It's, uh, it's a little bit of balls. Smooth. And, uh, and miss, yeah. It's Miss Stumpy approved, I will just say. Okay, we can stop there. So um, I will say, bringing it around, Emma, Thank how you. that does relate to a motorcycle podcast. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why gentlemen out there probably want to start cleaning their bits aerodynamics okay Ooh. no there yeah. is that no i was gonna say um there's <laughs> a free. 
There's a new movie coming out. Oh, yeah. Maybe you've seen some of these trailers. <gasps> oh. It's not coming till August, but <clears throat> have you seen the trailers for this new movie with Gal Gadot in it? Yes. Who is Gal Gadot? She played Wonder Woman. She's Wonder Woman. She's the most beautiful woman in the world. Strikingly beautiful woman. Um, And it's a James Bond-esque movie, but she's the the Bond kind of person doing all these crazy stunts and everything. Well, uh, in this movie, because we know, you know, we live these, when the motorcycles are in the movies, Mm -hmm. um, they have been, uh, they've partnered with Triumph. And she is going to be writing a speed triple RR in this film. And so it's like, it's like all the things in one that, that I think we can all really appreciate. Yes. Gal Gadot and an adventure film on a triumph. I already bought my tickets. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm excited for that. What else you got for us, John? So we got a few things. Um, You know, you brought up this crazy picture while we were in the garage today about this inflatable motorcycle thing. Oh, have you heard about this, Bagel? No. Okay. So I was watching, I was watching videos in the garage today. I put on those videos that are like um, crazy vehicles you need to know about, right? There was one that was a pedal assist bicycle Mm -hmm. for the water. And people are out like in the ocean and going up rivers. And hmm. basically it's it's powered, but you pedal like it's a pedal assist. And they're like flying on the water. Hmm. Yeah, because you've seen these bikes that try and just paddle, pedal with a paddle. They're yeah. very slow. No, pedal assist. It's the bomb. So they're controlling the speed through the pedals rather than a throttle. Hmm. It looks but pretty cool. Yeah. And there's there's no motor or anything. It's just oh yeah. Power. There's a motor and there's stuff down oh. there. But just like a pedal assist bike that is a motorized electric bike, mm-hmm. it uses the pedals mm-hmm. to to create I the, see. The speed. Um, wow! But there was this other thing. Oh, I got. I'm going to send it to you, Bagel, because this was crazy. Um, it was uh, an inflatable <laughs> scooter. Have okay. you heard of this, Bagel? No, I have not. Okay, I'm going to send it over to I've, you. So I've heard of like collapsing scooters, like foldable scooters. You can fit inside a little case yeah, or so something. Yeah, so what this was, and it showed this like <clears throat> little, little, I assume like Chinese woman getting off the train. Oh, no, you're going to be late for your appointment. No worries. She pulls her backpack off and pulls out this folding case that unfolds. And then a pump and attaches it, and <clears throat> the the case has these wheels, and then the seat, and then the steering column inflate up in two different squ- really squares. It's hard to describe. <laughs> How do you describe this, Emma? And she sits on it and she wheels away. Well, it's an inflatable scooter. It's an inflatable scooter. <clears throat> I don't understand how that's supposed to work. What do you mean? Like how? So, so it's just like a cushion that you're sitting on, uh, and it's got a platform with a motor underneath. Yeah. So the platform with the motor and the wheels, it's it's kind of like those ride along suitcases that they've made, where every all the working bits are down at the base. So all you right. need is this inflatable seat, which is the size <laughs> of a suitcase, and then the uh-huh. steering column inflates up to give you that's, steering. That's. Really weird, but I, I don't know if you could really 
call this a, I mean, they, they say it's a scooter, but it looks like it's got four wheels. Yeah. So it's more like a mobility scooter, I guess. Still a scooter. So I look, you're the one I told you, (laughs) I told you that we need to start calling them. What I said, I had another word for you wouldn't change the names. You insist on still calling them scooters. So you can't complain. They were there first. No, no, you can't complain. Yes. So here's my question to everybody. I never dawned on me. I never considered an inflatable vehicle. And the inflatable thing was something to fill the space to fit there, there your ergonomics, <laughs> but then it deflates down into a small case. So I, I just started thinking, are there any other well, uses for inflatable things in motorcycle and pop, scooter culture? I mean, well, they tried dirigibles. <laughs> that didn't yeah. work out so well. And, you know, perhaps if you had an inflatable girlfriend, it'd fill that empty space in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like Gal Gadot. You could have an inflatable Gal Gadot. Hold on. I think all the boys should want one. Hold on. I think you're on to something. What inflatable Gal Gadot? Now look. If if hold on, maybe maybe we need to bring back Moto Bandito. An inflatable (laughs) the bitch on back of an inflatable passenger. Not something that looks like a sex doll, but something that already has the curves in the sitting position. And now you could go out for a ride on the weekend and, and have a lady on the back. You could have an inflatable is, lady on the back of your inflatable and, scooter. And not be judged on being sad and single. Can you program it to squeeze you harder the faster you go? Yes. No, but that, that could be kind of cool for people mm-hmm. who want to go out for a ride with somebody. They can take their inflatable passenger out for a ride. You can even name her. Gal. I'm not going to even talk about what other things she might be able to do. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, hold on. An I'm, inflatable I'm, passenger is kind of cool. I'm deeply sorry for introducing this topic. <laughs> what, well, what other things can we create? Well, inflatable? obviously we have the airbags. Yeah. yeah. Some of the bikes have started using inflatable airbags. And the vests. And the air vests. Yep. Well, I mean, yeah. And the, oh, and the helmet. The bicycle helmet. Have you seen that one? Yes, I it have. It starts out as a collar, mm-hmm. and it, if there's a change, a rapid change in speed, it blows up and creates like a astronaut helmet. Sorry, Emma, what were you thinking of? Yeah, I mean, I think the most mainstream of them right now is the jacket, and I actually know a couple of people who've got them. Um, I mean, it's quite it, it's quite a good idea in that we always walk a line with motorcycle clothing between comfort abrasion resistance and impact resistance and it seems you have to make compromising depending on what you want um i i've always favored a very heavy leather jacket which of course is completely unparalleled for abrasion resistance but hot but it's hot and uncomfortable and it has no impact resistance so you know, the accident I had on the Trident where I was thrown to the ground, even though I was very, you know, undergeared then, mm-hmm. I don't think having a jacket would have reduced my shoulder injury because that was an impact injury. So the air vest really does mitigate that because you can have abrasion resistance and with this microscopic uh, microsecond filling of air, you get the 
you get the impact resistance as well. Um, I like the idea of neck protection as well, because neck injuries still are very much a real thing for motorcycle riders. Because, of course, you've got this helmet, you're wearing a helmet, and if you've got a decent helmet, it weighs a few pounds. And so if you get thrown onto the road, you've got this thing on your head that's kind of being flung around a bit. <coughs> and if you've got, like, an inflatable ring around it that can hold you rigid, I think, didn't they come up with something um, well, for NASCAR? Bikes, dirt bike riders have something, too. That yeah. yeah. Have you seen the inflatable bike storage? What? You've not seen these? No. Do you know what I'm talking about, Bagel? I think I've seen those before, like they, all these ads for them or something. Yeah, there are these single bike garages I think I've seen those, yeah. that inflate, but then help control the climate if you live in some place where it's maybe humid or something like that. You can oh, no, I think climate. you're thinking of two separate things Am there I? because you've got the you've got the portable garage, yeah. which is canvas, and it's yeah. almost like a, a clam shell. You open yeah. it up, ride your bike, and then shut the shell. But what you're thinking about with the vacuum, it's like a bubble. I tell you who started that thing, classic car people. So yeah. you, you basically, you drive your car or your bike into the bubble, mm -hmm. and then it gets inflated. Right. And the air gets dried as it gets sucked through yeah, the... That's um, what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's kind of not... That's, that's a long-term thing. I know, but I'm saying that that's an inflatable thing that a lot of oh, people yeah. haven't thought of that are know of. And um, I, They are quite expensive, but I mean, if you've got like a Vincent Black Shadow or a you know $250,000 Ferrari, it makes very, very it's, good sense. It's the bike in the bubble. It's it's the bike in the bubble because basically it's going to be exactly the same when you pull it out in the spring as when you put it in in the fall. Um, what yeah. about I'm trying to think inflatable things. Well, I'm wondering. I was thinking about a portable inflatable um, jack. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Yeah. Like oh, fire menus. No, that's been involved in um, heavy heavy truck recovery right. and ship recovery yeah, yeah. for a long, and long moving, time. Moving uh, houses too, they use it. Yes, 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 yes. But something that that packs down really small goes into a USB port, and that you can if, if you're on you the lift road, a bike. It, yeah. you lift a bike. Yeah, I'm not sure how much yeah. control you know because bikes aren't. Yeah, they get tippy. Yeah, they get tippy, so it have to be very well designed. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's a thought, isn't it? What about yes, being able to inflate things on the bike to add to your comfort? If you recall, there was some sneakers they came out with that had that pump built onto it yeah. that you could inflate so that the sneaker fit more tightly. So like an inflatable suspension, like on the lowriders? Or am I even thinking around like on the seat or something to give yourself a little more... What support. A, what about inflatable panniers? Wait, 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 wait a minute. Hmm. Um, I think air hogs on air hogs a a seat thing. Am air I thinking? Hawks, of, yeah. Oh, air hawk. Yeah, yeah, air hawk. Yeah, but you want it? Yeah, partially, partially inflated. Yeah, I use air hawk seats. Yeah, that's a good example. But I was thinking a little more rigid, just to make things fit. Or even like if you have a passenger. Having a seat that you can inflate up around them that, that has really, a backrest. Yeah, that really kind of grips them a little bit more mm -hmm. could be interesting uh or even if if uh you had an inflator on your tank so that you can you know uh, lean oh, down onto be your great. tank because i've used my tank bag before to rest right. on right 
But if you had a little, that's a great idea. A pillow, a tank pillow. But like, like I was saying, panniers. If you could sort of inflate them and then deflate them and then tuck them in somehow, so that you know you don't have to ride around with them all the time. Or yeah. if you could have an inflatable seat cushion that could keep your butt nice and comfy yeah, as you ride. That's the air. Oh, that's what, yeah, the air hawk is. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Or oh, how about inflatable tires? Would that work? Well, they already do that. <laughs> what oh, about yeah. this? An inflatable roof. What? Think it, about that. Wait, 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 wait. That's going to work so well. <laughs> no, I think in a windy climate, I think you'd find your roof at the next door neighbor's house or the next no, town. No, think if you're out it, riding it, and it starts to rain and you're on your scooter. Yeah, I'll turn into a parachute. <laughs> so look, I'm holding up the BMW C1, right? Yes. Which has a roof. Well, what if we had an inflatable roof that's almost like a, a, a what do you call it? like the pool floaty, right? That no. can, you can inflate and have <laughs> over you. Sounds terrifying. Okay. Look, it, I'm trying to think outside the box here. Yeah, I just don't think that aerodynamically that would work out well at any speed over 15 miles an hour. What about an inflatable helmet that, that is real minimal? So it's almost like you're riding with no helmet at all. But as soon as something happens, it pops up. That's what I mentioned, the collar <laughs> yeah. that they created that comes up. Right. You know mm. what? I, here's what I think. You'd look like one of those Aztec warriors. Exactly. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be cool. And you could, like, paint oh, it. Yes. I've thought I, I've come up with it. Yes. I've come up with it. Mm-hmm. And I think Bagel is going to go, ah, yes. It's going to be an ah, yes, it's Bagel It's going to make sense mom. to Bagel. Inflatable auxiliary gas tank. I'm surprised they don't have those already. Yep, bagel. Uh, uh, Mr. Long Dif- Distance Driver, you have an auxiliary tank on the back of your bike. What if it's something that you can deflate? Well, they have those, like fuel bladders. And inflate. And now, isn't that air I, pressure also going to help push the uh, gas into the no, tank? No. No? I, I don't think that's going to work the way you think it is. <laughs> that, just, that just sounds like 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 uh, like a recipe for disaster right there. Because you're talking about some sort of like flexible or fabric material and with gasoline, uh, it's going to so, find a uh, way to work through crevices and cracks and seams bagel, and things. You're, you're, I, just don't think, I think you're, on that same theme, this is why we don't see inflatable toilets. Hold on, Bagel. Because probably. Yeah, there'd be leakage. And the trouble is you'd be sitting on the toilet and then your cat would come in and jump on the inflatable toilet and squash it. And then you'd uh, pee and backwards and it'd be all terrible. Oh, I got it. I guess. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. I'm not done. Okay. They make they make um, fabric gas canisters. Right. Right. So really? you Yes. Yes. So Bagel. In the back of your your scooter cannonball bike, you yeah. have a top case. Mm-hmm. And what is in that top case? It is there's a plastic fuel cell tank, an auxiliary tank, which means you cannot yeah. use that top case for anything else, can you? Not much, right? If that was like rubber, canvas, whatever it needs to be made of, made of, and you can deflate it so it's flat at the bottom, now you can use. Your tub case as you need, but when you need it for the reserve fuel, mm-hmm. you can fill it up and you inflate it and then fill it. There, I got it. What about? 
I like the idea of an expandable tank that there we you could go. use for other stuff. I, whether, but something that is inflatable with air, I just don't see how that's going to work well. But maybe there's some other sort of expandable design that that could be <clears> useful. <throat> All right, well, just just an idea. Building on yours, okay. what about an inflatable fairing for naked bikes? Ooh, would we'll take your naked bike on a long ride. You don't want to be whipped around, so there's an inflatable fairing that attaches it. Just well, can I can I just just hmm. point something out here yeah. that you, you any sort of body part, whether it's a roof or a fairing or uh, yeah, leg shield or whatever, that has to have a rigid structure in order to resist the pressure of the air that you're riding through, yeah. and you can't resist air with air. It's just going to cause your inflatable thing to deform. Yeah, but you can have like flexible tent, like tent poles. I got this one. Go ahead. Bagel, have you ever been river rafting? Mm, Once or twice, maybe. What did you go down the river in? Uh, An air-filled raft? Yes. Yes, Was that air-filled raft somewhat rigid enough to build a, create a structure to hold human bodies in it? Yes, it was. Okay. But that is completely different from a scenario where you're pushing air against air pressure against air pressure. No, I disagree. (laughs) I'm just saying because you can build a a skeleton out of inflatable, an inflatable skeleton that supports a structure. You're still fighting air pressure with air pressure. Yeah. It's not going to end well. I still think it can be there. Oh, but, I think I, what could possibly go wrong, Bagel? <laughs> you know, no, air, you could go airborne. collapses on you as you're trying to ride down the road. <laughs> well, yes. Well, no, I think Liza's already got a screen that collapses on her as she rides down the road. It's <laughs> true. Um, the whole point here, and what I was trying to bring up, Bagel, is that somebody thought outside the box when they yeah. created an inflatable scooter. And I really appreciated seeing something that far outside of the box. Yeah. Um, and that's what just got my creative juices going. Like, well, what else could be done? That's, that's all. Just trying to think. But, 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 but I, I just got to say that the, the utility of this inflatable scooter is, is, has got to be the same or less as the, the rideable uh, ice cooler. That, that somebody came up with like a couple of years ago because it's like, it, this is something that's like meant for you to ride between your terminals at the airport. Right. All right. I'm going to have to explain what's happening here to everybody. So bagel is a scooter elitist. He is. Yes, he is. And he would not wave at me. This is what's Bergman. happening right now. Okay. No, no, my, this is not a road going vehicle. <laughs> this is. <laughs> this, Keep proving my a, point. Thank you. No, but uh, bagel, bagel, sweetie, yeah. would you wave at Johnny on his Bergman? I would, yes. Oh, really? If yes, you were on the Morpheus, you when, would. When you were on your I'm rally anybody. today with all the the Vespas, ah, yeah, yeah, would yes. you have waved to John yes. if he was wearing you, his flip flops? <laughs> I, I would have waved to him and and. And and tutted my finger at him for wearing flip flops, but I would have waved. Mm, yes, okay. actually, I believe him. And if, I I, th- I see Bagel as being a man of high integrity. And, and if I was I coming, rode, I whipped a motorcyclist today while we were on our ride. And if I was, did coming they down wave the back? S- oh. A couple of them did. 
And Bagel, if I was coming down the street on my riding uh, luggage, would you have waved back at me? <laughs> no. I w- uh-huh! Stared as, as I went by you. My point is proved. <laughs> God All right. All right. This is dead. What's next? So we had an interesting conversation today in the garage um, about motors. So, so the question is, thinking back in the history of motorcycling, yes. what do we say like the best motorcycle motor has ever been and why and, and hold on and i wanted to give some credit to the revzilla podcast yeah. the common tread guys um they did a recent podcast talking yeah. about the best touring engine right which kind of gave me this idea mm-hmm. and i was like well, that was interesting they're talking about, you know what, well, what I, makes the best touring engine but i thought that that's the easiest answer in the world yeah. it's the easiest answer in the world the concourse no good the goldwing Oh God! Yeah. Okay. So they they all have their different pros and cons. They talked about it, and you should listen to that show. But I thought, what is the best motor ever made, and why? Well, I shall tell you. I would like to hear everybody's opinion, and we're not defining for what purpose. That's up to you to decide your criteria <coughs> for the best motor ever made. Okay. Go ahead, Emma. So, um, in 1978, Suzuki came out with the GS1000, mm-hmm. and it was pretty stout. It was 88 horsepower, but that's not that engine's entire story. The beauty of the GS1000 platform was it had roller-bearing bottom end. So, it was basically, it was built like a two-stroke. So, in its various incarnations, it's got a power boost in 80 when it became the GSX or the GS1150, um, as you Americans called it, and it got lots more valves, and it was up <clears> to, I think, about 111 horsepower in Katana trim. But the thing that makes this engine so special is here we are in 2023, and you can go to any drag strip on any Sunday and see big air-cooled Suzuki's putting in some crushingly low times and pumping out 250, 300 horsepower reliably. It's that good an engine. It's indestructible. It's smooth. It's tractable. If you've (coughs) never ridden one, you have no idea what you're missing. It is by far the best and most adaptable motorcycle engine ever made. And you can go back to Genesis if you want with the GS1000. You can say the lineage started with the GS1100 of 7980. It doesn't matter. It's basically the same platform. That is by far the best motorcycle engine ever made. By far. And that is based upon performance, reliability, reliability. Um, tunability, tractability, <coughs> everything. And it is an incredibly pretty engine as well. Um, it's just, it's the real thing. It is the real deal. They're just lovely, lovely things. <clears throat> See, I'm, I'm going to have to give a shout out to the, uh, to the Parallel Twin. Okay. Um, because I, you know, it's, it's iconic if you go back to the British motorcycles for sure. Um, but even it's getting a new life or new attention in, in modern times because you've got, you know, bikes like the T7 that has it. You've got the Africa Twin that has it. 
Um, and then you've got the Bonneville, like Liza, you just got that has it in it. So it just, it feels like an engine that can be crossover so many different, um, you know, different, uh, types of riding and types of motorcycles and it's compact, it's light, um, reliable. And, uh, you know, I, I would, I would, I would argue for the, for the parallel twin as being the greatest, at least the greatest configuration. So any specific engine you're saying like I, the triumph? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd have if I had to pick one because of, I would have to say the Triumph, the the six fifty or seven fifty Triumph Bonneville motors. Okay. Now, granted, grant, you know, you can't compare that versus the Africa Twin motor because they're different eras. But I'm talking about like, you know, that's the iconic one there. You want to poke any holes in that, Emma? No, I mean, I think it's, but it's of the time. So My you- argument is I'm talking about an engine that was designed 45 years ago and is still being thrashed up and down racetracks mm-hmm. today. Well, the parallel twin is still, also, though, isn't it? Not in, not really. Well, the parallel twin is, right. but not, not the, the, not the, the Bonneville. No, you know, um, air-cooled air Suzuki 4s are still winning drag races mm. today. Right. Because they're that good. Fair enough. All right. So, and I just want to say, do you think that the parallel twin is better than the triple? It's it's more prolific. I right. like triples because it's such a unique soundtrack. And it's something very unique to motorcycling. But I'm asking John here, because he's saying, yes, I would best say, the, I would say that the parallel twin is better than the triple. And for, because you're not going to see a triple in a T7 or even an Africa twin. They're too heavy. They're bigger, you know, for, for just versatility. You have a triple. Yeah, but it's not a dirt bike. Okay. Yeah. Or trying to be a dirt bike. I mean, think about the Ninja 650 motor. What an incredible motor that is. That's, that's been in different platforms. You got the 500 twins that are out there that are incredible. I mean, the, the parallel twins feels like it checks most boxes except for, uh, yeah, higher RPM, okay. you know, inline fours. Bagel, what do you think? Best motor ever made? Honda Cub. Ooh, that's a good one. Can't argue with that. How many have they sold in all the various incarnations over the years that world, they're still producing? World today? Engine. Right? It's easy to work on. It's super reliable. You can find parts for it everywhere in the world. I mean, that is a bike that you can ride literally anywhere. Bagel. How could you beat that? Dang you, you stole mine. <laughs> so I had I had here, I believe, 1957. Does that sound right, Emma? Yeah, that's about uh, right. 59, I think. 1957 well, was the yeah. Honda Dream C70. Now, you said the Cub. I'm just mm-hmm. saying the 70cc engine. Mm-hmm. We had the Dream 70. We had the Cubs. We had the, the Trail 70. And to this day, globally, they are still making the CD70 in many countries. I bought two myself in Pakistan last year, right? (laughs) You can buy Lifan 70cc motors. There's all these knockoffs. I would say, and, and Emma, tell me if I'm wrong. We know that like the Cub is the most produced motorcycle in the world. Yes. I think that the Honda 70cc is the most produced and copied engine ever. What do you think? 
I would say that is probably true. And funnily enough, the interesting thing about that engine is it spawned a lot of cheap creations, Mm -hmm. but it spawned a lot of very expensive ones. Now, the Black Shadow has gone home, Mm -hmm. but would you like to know what the most expensive engine in my shop right now is? What is that? It's a Takagawa. And a Takagawa is, um, it's basically a $10,000 Honda Cub engine. What? What what did it go into? Um, It's going into a monkey bike. Oh, wow. (laughs) But yeah, you should look up (coughs) Takagawa. T-A-K-E-G-A-W-A. Takagawa. So is this this a a, a custom-built engine from... Yeah, it's custom-built by Takagawa. From scratch? Yes. Wow. But it's based on a Honda Cub. But all these in kind of cup design. Yeah, wow, everything's really roller cool. bearing in it. Everything. You can get wow. a used 125cc Takagawa on eBay for $3,900. Used. <laughs> it's a $10,000 wow. uh, engine. It's used, yes. Yeah. Man. <clears throat> yeah, um, they're quite something. <laughs> wow. Is, this, is, is that this a manual the, transmission? or No, it's five-speed. And it oh, says you can put it in your CT70, your Z50, your whatever. Yeah, ridiculous yeah, but, amount of horsepower. Think, but, but you is, can get a Lifeline for 350 Yeah. Um, but this is a manual shift? or, or It's a manual clutch? shift, manual clutch. Okay. It's about 28 horsepower. Um, mm, just wow. incredible. <laughs> That's <laughs> just ridiculous. Wild. Is that what they used Damn. in the old school MotoGP bikes, the 125s and the... Uh, no, actually, these were mostly used in street bikes. Very, very popular with a lot of the uh, uh, Bosa culture mm-hmm. because we've got a very sonorous mm. exhaust note. Mm. And of course, in Bosa it's a lot of it's the tune you play on the uh, on the throttle as well. Um, but it's an amazing looking thing, and when you actually look at it, it really takes your breath away because it is so beautifully cast. A lot of people come in and say, "Oh." That clutch covers chrome, and I'm like, it is not. It's just beautifully cast and mm. polished al- aluminum. Of course, as I would say, aluminium. And it's just, it's a gorgeous little thing. But it boils down to the same. It's it's that Honda Cub engine. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's you define it. And I'm the first to admit, a lot of my take was based on just performance. And the one thing you can't accuse a Honda Cub engine of is being high performance, Takagawa or not. Um, That's exactly my point. When I think it's certainly and I think prolific. This is a uh, first. I was going to say American, but I think it's a Western way of thinking. Mm-hmm. We think about you know. First, I was thinking about leaps in technology. You know, to you know the sixteen valve, blah blah blah. You know, or you just think about like like the uh, like Yuri just got that. Um, the the RR the what is it the S one S one thousand RR, which is like when you talk about like the pinnacle of output like the efficiency of, of that motor right it really is the pinnacle of, of engineering and design and you know you you think about those those kind of uh, very accomplished or even if you go back and think about the the um the Vincent mm-hmm. what a leap. In technology that was and for how many years decades it held records right but what we forget to think about is the simplest things that um empower and and, and give people freedom and and 
the ability to to travel, to work, to, you know, stuff like that. And and how many people's lives are changed and affected by this 70cc motor, which is simple and affordable. So another way to say it would be, is that your desert island motor? If you could only have one. No, but it goes back to most of us are riding motorcycles and scooters for pleasure. The 70cc was not pleasure unless you're a kid riding a trail 70 and then it is everything, (laughs) right? (laughs) Or even an XR70. I mean, to many people it is. But you go around the world and see how many people are riding a 70cc bike that in our country is nothing. It's a toy. Right. Yeah. But there... It gets you where you couldn't go before. So the V-Twin got no love from any of us. <clears throat> you think about the versatility of a, of a V-Twin. I mean, yeah. the the Black Shadow has one, if I'm not wrong. And then you got you know all the Harley stuff. And then you've got the, the Ducatis that were tearing up racetracks a few years ago on, that were twins. So I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. How, how do we feel like the, the twin fits into this conversation? The V-Twin. Well, I mean... I don't, the, I don't think it makes that big of an impact to me. You know, the V-Twin, it's 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 an iconic engine for sure. Um, and it's got, got a sound. unique soundtrack yeah. to it. I always enjoy riding a V-Twin because it almost sounds like a heartbeat. Um, but, yeah. Best engine? I don't know. No, I don't think it is either. No, 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 no. No, I think, I think Bagel backed me up. Can I can I offer an honorable mention as well? Oh, let's hear it. The GY6 engine. The thing that's in the scooters that you can put into like the ruckus and stuff. And that's in the Navi. <clears throat> and in untold motorcycles and scooters around the world. Um this is a this is an engine that was originally designed by Honda and then uh, adapted by Kimco to basically make it a universally universally adaptable motor that can be put into pretty much anything. Um, and I, I think this is a, this is a motor that has the potential to rival the cup motor for versatility and durability and, and performance for its size. Mm. So, you know what? I've, I've heard of the GY six. Tell me more, Emma, what do you know about well, the GY six? Well, what I, does no, that I stand to, for? I, I used to work on them quite a lot. Um, I had a little contract of all things, there's these little tourist cars that buzz oh, around. Yeah. Um, they buzz around Monterey, but you can find them in a lot of towns. Scooter cars? Yeah, scooter cars. And they've got two yep. wheels at the front and one wheel at the back. And they're powered by GY6 engines. Hmm. And it's a very, very simple engine. I mean, it's a it's a flat single. Oh, it's a CVT? Uh, it's yep. a CVT. Um, nothing particularly interesting about it. Those scooter cars did tend to chew up the rollers and the belts every month. You mm. needed to put rollers and belts in them because it's, it's a big, weight. yeah, big, big, heavy yeah. two-seater car um, mm. and a big, heavy fiberglass body. My argument against them was the uh, the fact that in the cars, excuse me, they're very, very hard to work on. You had to kind of drop them out the bottom of the car. So they were yeah, quite a pain in the ass. But, yeah, a good little engine, whether it's earth-changing mm. or not, don't know. They and, use and, them. And, Liza, you're a fan of the genuine Buddy, right? Yeah. Yep. That's what's in the Buddy. Oh, wow. Oh. Uh-huh. I know, on the stretched ruckus. Yep. 
Oh, by the way, so Emma, Michael, who came by today, uh, Michael, who has one leg. Yes. Yes. Um, he had, so he was born without a left leg. Doesn't stop him. He still, mm-hmm. he still rides. And right now he's cool. riding the Rebel DCT because normally when he rides a bike with a clutch, he needs to uh, put on the the, the 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 shifter button up on the handlebars. Does he, he have the uh, 500 or the 1100? Yeah, the 1100 is the DCT. Yeah. But he was looking for next and he said, so I'm looking for a chuckus. What? Do you know what this is, Bagel? A chuckus? A, ch- a Chinese ruckus. A Chinese ruckus. Mm. The chuckus. <laughs> yes. Like and I was like, I've um, not heard it called that. That's smart. Mm-hmm. But he wants a chuckus. Well, why don't you get a ruckus? Oh, good luck finding the the big one. They're hard yeah. to find. I'm like, well, I happen to know two places. I was at a scooter import scooter shop last week looking at some in person. <laughs> uh, or oh, you can God. go online to Moto Buys where I got my Amigo. Just be aware that you're buying a <laughs> potential piece of shit project that can be fun in itself yeah. and that it, it's it's a cheap bike that's going to be a project. And he is loving it. Huh. And yeah. when I was telling him, oh, yeah, you can get the uh, the stretched, lowered, three-wheeled chuckus. He's like, what? Huh. What? <laughs> oh, he was so excited. Oh, my. Yeah. I thought, It'll I be nice once you replace everything. <laughs> well no i mean and that's how it was with the uh with the russian flat twins with the Dnipa oh, yeah. and the oh, ural yeah. i mean yep. you buy the thing and then you spend the whole of your time earning owning <laughs> yeah. it replacing it's, things and upgrading yep it was the exact same story with lambrettas that that people were importing into the into the canada and the united states back in the 90s that were made in india um, because Scooters India Limited bought the rights to to build Lambrettas, like steel-bodied manual shift Lambrettas. The problem is that that the quality of the manufacturing and the materials that went in were so bad, especially the bearings, that you literally, as soon as you got one, you had to tear down the entire engine and mm-hmm. rebuild it with with good quality bearings and seals if you wanted it to be reliable and suspension and everything else. Interesting. Yeah. Um. I'm. I'm. John, I'm going to go off topic here because I just remembered a video I watched this week okay. that I wanted to bring up. Have you guys seen the latest Fortnite video? What's it on? Well, Emma, I think you'll find this interesting because I found it interesting. It was on the Honda Silverwing. Oh. Not the scooter. Okay. The Silverwing. Mm, the old one? Yeah. Silverwing motorcycle. Yeah, what's that, like 1982, maybe? Something yeah, like maybe right? even 80, 81, 82. And basically, it's a Silverwing is a Honda CX500 custom cruiser mm-hmm. with a Pro-Link rear end. And all the luggage. It's a flat flat four? Or a, no, it's no, a V-twin. It's a V. It's a V-twin. Possible, yeah. So what I didn't know, like I knew that that bike existed, and they're kind of interesting looking. It's a full fairing. Right. 500cc touring bike. But what I didn't know and what the point that he made, which is very interesting, is that Honda said, let's, because I don't know that people were looking for a 500cc full touring bike. But what they said is there were big touring bikes at the time that yes. were very expensive. Yes. But there wasn't the everyman affordable touring bike. Right. And Honda set out to build a bike 
using parts they already had. However, it is very much a bike of its time. It was never a huge seller. They did mm -hmm. sell quite well, but it was never a huge seller. And Honda attempted to repeat that success in the 90s with the Deauville, well, which was a terrible seller. So here's what I found was interesting. They were saying that, so as we know, like the motors from the CX-500. Right. The fairings were from the, the Goldwing. The Goldwing. The rear link the, uh, was from the, the dirt bikes. Yeah, it was just a generic mm -hmm. dirt um, bike There were things in. like the gauge cluster was from a car. Yeah. And how like, I think 95% of it were parts. They pulled all the sh off the shelves and made made a bike out of it that became a an affordable touring bike. So my question to you, Emma, is I didn't realize how much of that was in stock parts. How many other bikes? So you just mentioned the Doville. I'd like to hear about that. How many other bikes are doing that? I know that well, like the CB900C yeah, used but, parts. Yeah, but the truth is most bikes are. Mm. I mean... If you scrutinize any of, say, let's use the Japanese manufacturers for as an example, how little they actually make. The suspension is made by them by Showa, FEQ perhaps, mm -hmm. or on the higher end ones, you know, Olin's. Olin's do a very, very nice line in doing a lot of suspensions for bikes. The tires are farmed out to Bridgestone, to Michelin, to whoever. Mm -hmm. The brakes, Nissan or uh, Tokiko or, of course, Brembo. Carburetors, chains. Chains. They are mm -hmm. all parts that are farmed in. And it's been like that since day one. Every British bike in the world has started off life with an Amal carburetor with a Reynolds chain. The frame may have been made of Reynolds tubing. If it was a racing frame, it may have been Reynolds 531. You know, magnetos were made by Lucas or Wipak, as were all the lighting. Instruments were made by Smiths. So this is, and then, you know, something as simple as the gas cap, you know, would be made by CNH in Wolverhampton. So all of these parts were made by, I like to think of them as satellites. If you have the planet that is planet Honda, there's all these satellites feeding Honda, but feeding other manufacturers as well. So when you actually get down to it, a truly new bike, a truly new, new bike, and I'm going to include electric bikes in there as well, is a rare thing. Well, like something like when they came out with the like was the Valkyrie or yeah, but uh, the Valkyrie or the, like the Rune. Yeah, but the Rune's the same. The the you can draw a direct line from the GL fifteen hundred to the Valkyrie and to the GL eighteen hundred and the Rune. There's a direct line, and they share far more parts than you'd think. One of the beauties of the Rune. It was an incredibly radical-looking bike, but the engine was nothing special. Um. So, wasn't isn't there a French? Is it a French company that 
had the the car and motorcycle use the same. Am I making this up? Same motor or something? I remember something like that. Well, the um, <clears throat> or maybe that was I think some French guys who wanted to create a company that used bought existing. Yes, cars. no, we talked about that in the yeah. past about car engine um, motorcycles. That's right. called a Confederate. Or even I'm going back when remember when we did um, oh what is the the Marx the Marx brother oh yes no the um, yeah the um, the inventor the one who did the flat twin almost like a Schwinn we, we did this years ago do you know what we're talking about no I don't um, so what are the Marx the brothers Mar- not Harpo not Groucho like Zeppo was it was it yeah Zepp, I think it was Zeppo. no it was the good looking one. It was the quiet one. No, it wasn't Harpo. Oh, so no, it was Harpo. He invented. Nice. He was a, quite the quite the engineer, and he invented the cradle that dropped the second atomic the bomb. The Marmon twin. The, and oh, the, I do remember this conversation. And yes. the Marmon cradle dropped the bomb on Nagasaki, and he was, you know, one of the one of the Marx brothers. That's not very funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Marmon twin, it was a long time ago we talked about this. He took, um, uh, it was a drone airplane engine from World War II that there was a surplus of. Right. And he built a, then he took a Schwinn. Right. And a gas tank and like put everything together. So these were all parts so, off the shelf that he got from different places and made the Marmon But there's twin. a lot of cross-pollination. So... If you were to go back in time, go back in time, and get on board a Lancaster bomber, very, very famous English bomber, and head towards the tail of the plane where they kept the generators, and you looked at the generator on a Lancaster bomber, you'd think, oh, that looks like a Triumph motorcycle engine. Because it kind of was. I mean, it was its own thing. But, and you could argue that, okay, yes, Triumph built, 350cc twins for the generators on Lancaster bombers. And that is very, very true. And they were standalone engines. They weren't motorcycle engines. But the lessons they learned about cam timing and thermodynamics in that engine in a closed environment, i.e. a Lancaster fuselage, taught them a great deal about how to make their motorcycle engines more reliable after the war. You know, so there's a lot of cross pollination. You know, these mini bikes that we know and love, you can draw a line. You can draw a line all the way back to the Excelsior Well bike, which is one that the paratroopers have. All right. We're we're way off script. So I'm going to throw out I want to throw out some guesses here because I'm kind of fascinated by motorcycles that use automotive parts. And now, Emma, there's not that many companies that still make cars and motorcycles. But I'm just going to take a guess because I'm trying to And I want to make it clear the Triumph cars maker of the Triumph Spitfire, the Triumph TR6. Triumph. Triumph. Never was anything to do with Triumph motorcycles. Okay, I'm trying to think even, of bikes. Even though there was a TR6 motorcycle, wasn't there? There was indeed a TR6. <laughs> so, and I mean, the joke was back at the time is, you know, you go over to your Dolly Bird's house and you say, oh, I just got a new Triumph TR6. 
and she goes out and <laughs> thinks she's going to be getting in this nice sports car, and you've got a bloody single car Bonneville, ain't you? <laughs> All right, I'm going to take a guess. I'm going to p- pose this to you guys, too. Can you think <clears throat> of any bikes that seems like, you know, we, we don't know. We're going to ask Emma, because she'll probably know. Sure. That seems like they have car parts on them. And I'm going to throw out a guess, because I'm thinking of a bike, Emma, that seems like it may have car parts off the shelf in the original design. And I'm going to say a BMW K-Bike, K75. Oh, yeah. Are those car parts? (laughs) Wait, it's a car engine. There it is. No, it's a, it's a car engine. Mm. It's a, it's a light it's a it's a lightweight Peugeot engine turned on its side. It's a Peugeot engine. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh. Oh, Peugeot designed wow. a lot of engines. Made by BMW or made by Peugeot? Well, the, the prototype was made by Peugeot. Okay. Interesting. Wow. That just seems like it had some crossover. Can Bagel? Can you think of anything that seems like a crossover? Well, I was going to say, how about the PC eight hundred? Hmm. It, it it the dash is very car like. I don't know if it's actually out of a car, but it seems like there's some <laughs> some inspiration there at least. I think truthfully, some... Bagel, the the PC eight hundred was a kind of standalone thing. It was its yeah. own thing. It very much drew on car sensibilities because right. that's what its market was. Mm-hmm. It was meant to be a very, very user-friendly motorcycle, and it was very much a motorcycle that would appeal to somebody who's maybe never had one before. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, it was it's kind of a standalone thing. I, I, I've got it. I've got it. I know the answer, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to mock Bagel for not thinking of this first. Oh, you're the mocker. Because it is a scooter. Mm-hmm. That does have an automotive part on it. Oh, really? Yep, yep. A few automotive parts. Emma, yes. am I right? Am I right? Oh, yeah. BMW C1 Executive Scooter Bagel. Oh. Specifically, <laughs> it has an over the shoulder seat belt, mm-hmm. it has windshield wipers. <laughs> right? And you know what made me okay. think about that is that was another thing that Ryan F9 pointed out on the Silverwing that was interesting. And I don't know if you're aware of this, Emma. The luggage snaps in place using seatbelt buckles. Hmm. Hmm. Clicks in. Press the button to remove it. Those were off-the-shelf seatbelts that they used to snap in. So uh, this might be a chicken and an egg thing a little bit, but Ooh. didn't... Suzuki didn't the, the the engine that went into the when it eventually became a Geo Metro wasn't that an, originally a motorcycle engine? It was a three cylinder. No, that was a Daihatsu engine. Okay, and what about Yamaha? Didn't they make oh Yamaha comp- yeah motors that went both ways? Yeah, yeah. Well, Yamaha famously made the the engine for the Ford Taurus super high output, mm-hmm. which was a quad cam V six. Which had the power of a V8. Were any of those based on motor- originally motorcycle Well, motors? I mean, the technology was. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like t- motorcycle technology for a car. Right. Um, you know, you've, you've got like twin cams and multi-valves. Because it's, <laughs> motorcycle engines have always kind of made more power than their car, car counterparts. Because mm-hmm. they needed to. You've got a lot less real estate. And they tend to be smaller capacity. So you want to get the power out of them. So, um, but they rev a lot higher, mm-hmm. of course. You know, seven thousand is a lot for a car. 
and we're talking you know we've got bikes right now that were here today the rev to 10 plus right and the other engine i was thinking about was and bagel you're gonna have to color the lines here for me because i'm not sure but the um the old bmw scooter car things that they had with the front that that uh, went over Ape? yes isn't that a uh, was that a motorcycle well, no, no. You're, you're talking about you're talking about the Isetta. yeah oh Isetta. yeah there's yeah, this yeah. door in the front right. three-wheeled micro car so where was that engine well, from it's, i mean it's bmw well, yeah, I mean so, that's. So. I mean that was that was originally designed by ESO in Italy, um, and then BMW basically bought the rights to it and produced it for, uh, on their own for years. But but the but Heinkel made their version of a bubble car that actually did have a very very similar engine to their scooter engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically the same design, uh, just bump, bumped out to 200 cc's and added a reverse gear, um, which they used in their car for years and years. So yeah, that's a great one. Yes, tra-la-la. Any other you can think of that are prime examples of crossover from cars to motorcycles? Oh, what about that, that, um, that Honda that was designed, the Honda motorcycle that was designed by the Honda... Yeah, the, N- the NC700. Yeah. So right. the NC700 was a very, very interesting concept. So again, it's lightning striking twice. Honda have always been after the unconventional market. And I, I maintain the PC-800 was a successful bike at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. It was kind of ahead of its time. And Honda kind of figured that out. So hence they came out with the NC-700, which is its cultural successor. And the NC-700 shares the idea that here is a motorcycle that is designed for people who don't necessarily like motorcycles. And with that in mind, they used the Honda Civic design team to actually start from scratch and like, how would you design a motorcycle? And so they gave them pretty much free reign to design this thing. Um, and it's a, it's an incredible bike. It's, it's a thing. Um, they're, they're not unpleasant to ride. They're a little anemic. I mean, it develops power more like a car than a bike, so it's quite flat. But if if you're not a horsepower junkie like I am, and you want something that's very predictable and is not going to scare the pants off you, and you can give it big handfuls of throttle, and it's not going to sort of <clears throat> catapult you across the road into the side of next door's Jeep Grand Cherokee, it's a perfect bike. So, um, yeah, the NC700 is a good example. I'm an idiot. Are you? I am. Because <clears throat> I realized. Well, we can tell that by the clothes I you realized, wear. And I'm guessing at this point, Phil has been yelling at his, ra- as a, at his phone or his listening device. Because <laughs> he's thought of this, too, I'm guessing. Because I, I own one. My Africa twin. Yeah. Uh-huh. Has a car is part, he- doesn't it, Emma? <coughs> yes, it does. What part is that? No, come on. It's all you, Liza. Transmission? The DCT. Yep. That's a car part, isn't it? Well, it is and it isn't. You're not, there is not a single component of your Africa Twins DCT that is shared with a car. So it's just an engineering. But the design 
is. You can't yeah. take one of the clutches from your DCT and put it in a Honda Civic. This is what made me think of it. So our, our listener, Chuck, he sent me a great picture of himself wearing our new shirt and his bikes. Take a look. Do you see what his two bikes that he has? He has. Yeah. NZ 700. And what's that crazy scooter thing? The, um, oh, it looks like a zero. It's the D thing. It's the stealth scooter. It's the Darth Vader thing. What is that bike? What is it? It's a Honda Darth Vader bike. It's it's the Honda scooter that looks like It's Darth- not a scooter, it's a DCT yeah. motorcycle. Yeah, that's that's one of the, the What is that thing that again? T seven hundred? Tony, you have one, had one. What is yeah, it? Yeah, that's re- that's related to the NC seven hundred, isn't yeah, it? Kind like, of, yeah. It's so, X seven hundred or something. I forget what it is. It's the Honda the crazy. It. It's the Honda Vader. Yeah, I know. It looks like something <laughs> Darth Vader. And the other one, yeah, I'm uh, is looking like a zero. Oh, I have a joke. I have a joke. How did Darth Vader know what Luke Skywalker was getting for Christmas? I don't know how. He felt his presence. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, that's a deep nerd pull right there. (laughs) I'm sorry. I never, oh, God, don't look like I that. I never like, thought you were a Star Wars nerd. L- Lysa looks like she's about to burst into tears. It wasn't that bad, Lysa. It wasn't that good either. That's the kind of joke you'd get in a British cracker, a Christmas cracker. It was, you didn't even know what Christmas I crackers were. You blew were. my mind about the cracker thing today. No, it's an English tradition. Hey, Bagel, do you know what a Christmas cracker is? <clears throat> no, I don't. So, See, okay, hold on. I have to say, I watched this show, um, this British show called Taskmaster. John, did you enjoy it? I today? did. It was awesome. It's a British kind of a game show thing where they give them tasks, but it's very, very British. And one of the tasks they gave is, is a competition who can do the best. It's like build the best Christmas cracker. And I, I, I heard this, and I thought I went. As in like a nutcracker? Like you have to build the best nutcracker, right. I was thinking? Uh, no. So, the best saltine cracker? Like I couldn't understand what a Christmas I, cracker was. So then they start taking these cardboard tubes and shoving presents in it and jokes in it. I'm like, what is going on? So a Christmas cracker, and that's his proper term, Christmas cracker, is very much an, an, an English Christmas tradition. And so what you must imagine is a cardboard tube probably about two inches in diameter if it's a good one and maybe sort of four inches oh, long yeah. like a paper okay. towel roll paper towel yep. roll and it's covered in tissue paper and the ends are twisted so they form little bows so it kind of yep. almost looks like a giant tubular sweetie wrapped in foil but it's tissue paper and then there's this strip of paper with gunpowder on it so it goes crack outer. <laughs> and no, that's how they work. It's like, you know, it's, it's like. It's little, not a dick in a box kind of thing. No, right? no, no, no. No, it's like. It's, and then in it's the like tube. A, a popper? Yes, like a it's popper. like a popper. So, like, in the tube, you always have um, a joke, which you must relate. And, you know, there may be voices and impressions involved. Um, there is a paper hat, which is yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's like a crown that you put on. And there's a, it's a charming gift, and it may be, you know, a little plastic pony, or it may be a whistle, or it may be just some little trinket. Mm. And so the idea is, is you're all sitting at the Christmas table, and you reach across, and one of you grabs one end of the tissue paper on the uh, 
cracker. The other one grabs the other tissue paper and you pull, you see. And it goes bang. And whoever's left holding the tube gets the gifts within. So the point is uh, to remind everyone that not everybody gets a present. Yes, exactly. Because generally you are left. Everyone is very, very happy with their presence, except for smelly Uncle Frank sitting at the end of the table who never gets anything. And he's without, you see. And he becomes even more bitter. And there smellier. Wow, that was a... Yeah, Christmas that's cracker. free for everybody there. That's, a, yeah. that's an added bonus. There you go. And, so that Christmas cracker. And Liza, I think the, the Honda you're thinking of is the NC700D. Also known as the Integra, <clears throat> is which it, is the the scooter version, scooter E uh, version. It looks bigger than a seven hundred. Is it? Look. No, I think it's a seven hundred. Yeah. No, I think okay, that's the one. I'll confirm. And it's like flat black uh, NC seven hundred D. You said D. Yeah, uh, Integra. Integra. Let's see. <clears throat> uh, and, no, no, no that is it. actually a scooter. This is not a hmm. scooter. I thought that's the one. No, Emma, what is this? Come on, you need to know. It's bigger. Oh, God, I can't remember its designation. Mm. It's a TCT, so I thought it was an 1100. I no, I really don't think it's that big. It is. Uh, <coughs> it is. Look, here's another picture of it. Look. Hello. Here's another picture of it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a thing, isn't it? Anyway. Yeah, it's so much for us knowing about motorcycles. John, did you have anything else? On yeah, so um, we've got a lot to discuss. Then, then I think we can do one more subject and then we can get to those emails. we got some good Okay, stuff. so the other conversation we had today sitting around the workbench was about tools. <gasps> right. And there were certain tools that regularly we use wrong. Um, I'm thinking torque wrench. Yeah, that was a common thing. I'm always because we have a few torque wrenches in the in the box, and people are always saying, "Oh, somebody put it away and left it still set to uh, like 120 foot pounds or right. something." Which I mean, that can throw it all out of whack, right, Emma? It can indeed. Because uh, I assume that there's some sort of spring tension thing, and if you leave it under right, tension, I mean, it is it, yeah, it, it it loses its calibration. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll do a few. We might get to five. We might not. I'm going to actually say, because then I was talking to her, like, you know, and and I think we all, like, forget to un unload the torque wrench and mm -hmm. put it away. Speak for yourselves, so, darling. So, torque wrenches are expensive. Yeah, I own a few. Um, and, but I was thinking about that, and I was like, what other tools do I have that maybe I'm not using right? And actually, I was like, Emma, actually, here's a tool that I have hanging up that I actually don't know what it is for oh yes. or how i mean i know what it's for i don't know how to use it emma can you describe this tool and we've had i've had a few of them sitting around in the garage and i so never never used it it was um an aluminium ring which was probably three inches in diameter with a lock wheel on it and then passing through the uh, aluminium ring was a metal tube mm -hmm. with a calibration scale on About it. About tw uh, 12 inches long, maybe? Yeah, 12, 14 inches long yeah. with a calibration scale in millimeters. The open end of the tube faced downwards and at the upper end of the tube was a clear plastic hose which went to quite a large syringe. Yeah. Do you know what we're describing, Bagel? No, I'm not sure so I do. I knew it had something to do with fork oil level right. 
And I always thought it was for putting the fork oil in. But I didn't know how it worked because whenever, and I, I, I rebuilt a fork today on my KTM. And I, I, I always look up the specs and it'll say how much oil you put in the fork. Well, and I measured out, but I, I didn't understand why you would need to have this tube and a ring and a thing. So and it never made sense to me. So forks, you'll, you'll often see two measurements for forks. You'll see capacity. And this is how much oil you actually put in. It'll say 470 cc's or 460 cc's or whatever. But that's only half the picture. And that is assuming that the fork is completely empty. Now, you could say, well, hang on, I took took them all apart to do the seals. But there may have been some residual oil left in the damper cartridge. Mm -hmm. So... A far more accurate way of measuring it is by the level within the fork. And often you will see fork level with the spring in and the fork slider compressed 110 millimeters below the top surface of the fork slider. Have you seen this? I've never seen. I always see capacity i've never right. seen this no it'll often be measured height. in height height i have seen it in height too yeah See, i yeah. haven't so when you when you've got a height figure it's the easiest thing in the world is that you set your fork level gauge so you take that aluminum ring and you look at the calibrated tube and you set the calibrated tube to the level you want say 110 mm-hmm. millimeters and you plop it in and you look down there with a flashlight And if the fork level's below the end of the tube, you add fork until it goes above. But you don't need to be too accurate because what you do then, as long as the end of the tube is dipped in the fork, uh, dipped in the fluid. Oh, so you don't have to measure. You just No, you don't have to measure. You make sure that um, the ring's sitting on the top and you just pull the syringe. And the theory is it pulls all the oil out until it reaches 110 millimeter. And then that's it. It's a very, very accurate way of measuring. Okay. Now, you can do it the old school way. Tape measure, yeah. And the old school way is a tape measure. (coughs) Right. But it's very, very quick. And if you know how to use it, it was used by racing teams back in the day. And the one thing we know about racing teams, especially the ones who do the long distance stuff, they don't have a great deal of time. Oh, excuse me. I am yawning so bad tonight. Um, I don't have a great deal of time, but they have to be super accurate. So this thing, you can just slap on top of the fork, pull the syringe, and it'll set your level in like two shakes of a lamb's tail, button it up. You're down the road with super accurate settings on your fork oil level. Thank you, Dave. So I have questions. Yeah. So um, you need some also? We're yeah, passing the cough drop. Ricola. I'm still, I'm still so, fighting this thing. Here's a Here's a thing that... Um, I'm always afraid of when I go to take the the top of the fork. So assuming you're using this with the fork still in in the triples, right? Yeah. So you take the top off. Boing. I, yes, you're always afraid it's going to be the can of snakes. Boing. So also, well, no, it rarely is unless. But also, you can't take the top off if there's if the the wheel is on the ground and there's weight on the front wheel. No, so you've got to unload the weight from the front wheel. So it has to be fully extended when you're measuring. Yes. That was my question. So it has to be raised up. And if you think about it, if you think about it, 
fully extended is the only one. Well, there's only two places that is guaranteed to not be open to interpretation with your forks. And that is fully extended or fully compressed. Everything else, it's <coughs> like, oh, if you say compress it 100 millimeters, some bonehead's going to get it wrong and compress it 90 or compress it 110. So fully extended, there's no argument there. Fully compressed, there's no argument there at all. So you would only use that tool when you're not removing the forks? You could use it with the remove forks as well. Okay. You can use it anytime. It's a great tool. So what other tools are we using wrong? Well, let's... let's brief- that are commonly used wrong. Let's briefly revisit torque wrenches. Torque wrenches are a wonderful and very valuable piece of your toolkit. Mm-hmm. Because what a torque wrench does is it gives you a very accurate reading on how tight to do a bolt. Because all bolts need to be tightened up to an exact amount. Too loose and it'll vibrate and undo itself. Too tight and you may snap the bolt. So a good quality torque wrench is a vital part, but there are quirks to using a torque wrench. Now, if when a torque wrench is set to a very, very low setting, three pounds per square inch five pounds per square inch it can be very very hard to feel the click if it is a click type torque wrench Mm. and nine times out of ten people won't feel the click and then continuing continue tightening that six millimeter cam bolt snap it off and go but i was using a torque wrench yes you were but you didn't feel the click your bonehead a far better tool for them would be a digital readout one mm-hmm. or or the old their first style the one that flexes yeah yep and i prefer the old style of ones if i'm ever doing a per wheel axle i will reach for the old style one and what the old style one is is a long bar with a handle on the end and sitting right above that mm-hmm. bar is a rod and there's a pointer on the end of the rod and then there's a scale and what it's doing is it's measuring the bend in the rod. You know what we're talking about? I do. Yeah. Yep. They're wonderful. Um, I use that or the click type. Uh, wonderful because you're not loading it. it. It's always unloaded. Well, then here we come to the quirk. The, so the, the quirks are you've got to be able to feel the clicks at lower specs. Generally, if you're using manufacturer's torque figures... Always best to new use new bolts. So, is there maybe this is a question for Liza? But is there a different in grading of bolts that you should pay attention to? Also, softer versus harder. Well, if if you're doing fact if you're doing factory specs, John, you need to be buying factory bolts. Okay. So uh, most of us are on. I mean, all um, graded bolts, metric or SAE American are going to be specified with marks on the head if they are graded. A lot of them aren't. A lot of them are just grade two, which right. is just standard steel. Right. So it's if it doesn't have any marks, it, it, then it's not necessary for the, the engineering of that. But if it is, um, then metric, it's, it's either going to be an 8.8, which is really just regular, 
10.9 is hardened and uh, on on the American, you're going to have the hash marks, three hashes for grade five, eight. But we're getting into something different because people don't realize that the grade has different functions. It's not just hardened. Right. Right. There's I, one will, five will bend before it breaks uh-huh. and eight yep. will break before it bends. Okay. So you have different applications for those. But most of the bolts we're using. Mm-hmm. Are just standard grade to steel, and here's why. What are they threading into? Well, it could a whole host of different things. Standard steel. No, most of our aluminum. parts are aluminum. Aluminum, right? Yeah. Which sure. is softer oh, than the steel. Surely right. you mean aluminium. Right. So it doesn't need to be hardened, right. oh, unless what it's threading into is also hardened, okay. right? Mm-hmm. So you might have, and I don't know. For but I'll just guess, like uh, maybe our triple trees hardened. Maybe I'm not no. sure. No, no. Okay. Just, no. Some of the, some of the okay. old like British engines are more iron than aluminum, aren't they? Right. So that's the thing. But it's ductile iron. It's very soft. Uh-huh. If you're threading into something that is threaded, like a, a motor, that's going to be softer than the bolt. So okay. we're not really getting into grades too much on stuff like yeah. that, or even motorcycle frames that are steel. Th- those are going to be just. Regular steel, it's not going to be hardened, right? Right, exactly. When you're getting into like the crank and stuff like that, you may have that's that's definitely quite different. Yeah. So, um, um, but yeah, you've with torque wrenches, you have to, and this is the biggest gotcha. When you were done with it, wind it back to zero. If it's a click type torque wrench, Mm. which is the most common type. Wind it back to zero, because if you leave it wound up to 30 foot pounds, 20 Mm -hmm. foot pounds, 100 foot pounds, whatever, it will lose its calibration and it will become inaccurate. So can can you recalibrate it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's a specialized job. You send them out mm, for recalibration. So we so I probably have to check all of my tools. I need to go home and fix mine. So this is something. (laughs) So you need to have two. And if you get two different readings on something, got to send them both out. Right, exactly. So, Emma, would you say, like, should a guy like me go to Harbor Freight and buy a torque wrench, or should you spend money and get uh, more of a name-brand torque wrench? You know, um, just careful what you buy. Um, a cheaper torque wrench is going to be a cheap torque wrench. If, if you are serious about working on your bike, get a decent torque wrench. But I'm going to say, yes, John, if you're doing one job, you're not going to buy a $200 torque wrench. Well, you're going to buy the cheapest one to get that job done. But it might not get that job done because the definition of a cheap tool can be a tool that breaks. Right. And then, but but the definition of a torque wrench is to provide an accurate measurement of tightening the bolt and a cheap torque wrench might simply not be accurate go ahead bagel but i was going to say that i did buy a torque wrench from hyper freight and it has served me extremely well this is a digital torque wrench made by pittsburgh it's just a little little brick of a unit that's you know not much bigger than an egg and you just plug a you know half inch socket on either side and you can you can use that to torque down your settings and i found it to be very accurate very reliable and incredibly useful to to pack with me because it's such so small and compact 
versus the traditional truck wrenches, which usually are two feet or longer. Oh yeah. So you know, and, and I can put this little egg under my seat. You know, it's it's you know, you can fit it anywhere on a bike. So not to, I mean, how do you oh, know it's right. accurate? And what is a what is a good variation? I mean, if it's accurate within one or two foot pounds, is that? Oh yeah, good enough. Yeah, generally yeah. In, the, in the, you know, um, really five percent is okay. Okay. And you didn't mention a digital. Why didn't Why don't you like digital ones? Oh, because I'm a reactionary old fart. <laughs> well, and the, the only other problem with the, like the older style ones, I remember this. If you're working on something where the tool is upside down facing the ground, uh, you can't get under there to see right. what the reading is. Yeah. And that's <clears throat> the problem. Sometimes you're in a space where you can't get your head yes, to don't, see it. Don't you come to me with your newfangled <laughs> phonograms. Um, what What are some other tools? Screwdrivers? That are used incorrectly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, screwdrivers are the obvious ones. Bagel's got his hand up again. I was going to say, Philip said screwdrivers. Philip! Exactly. Philip! <laughs> who, who is this guy? I want to know. So, um... Buy them JIS ones. If we're yep. just talking about using screwdrivers, mm-hmm. not about what they are, about using them, just want to turn something. 90% of people do not realize that you want to put as much effort into pushing the screwdriver into the screw as you do to turn it. Hmm. If you're just feebly holding the screwdriver in the slot and putting all your effort into turning it, it is a very good way of rounding off the head. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. push it in. Use your body weight. Remember, my dad used to tap, just kind of lightly tap with a hammer. Too. No, you can. Yeah. And that's a good method as well for a stuck screw. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've got a vintage Yamaha DT1 engine on the ramp right now. Every single screw in that was just, God, it was seized. Awful mm. thing. And I was just tapping each one. And no matter how hard I pushed, you know, the, the, the heads were still deforming. So I was reforming the heads with a hammer and banging the screwdriver in and using an impact wrench. And eventually I got them all out, but it was a big to-do. Do Do you ever use the type where you hit it with a hammer and it turns? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got that here. Impact. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought of something. I thought of something that we didn't have on our list. Yes. That I learned something by listening to you in the garage today. So I'm going to say this is something that is commonly misused is Loctite. Oh God! Specifically, oh God! The different colors of Loctite. Mm -hmm. Well, no, hang on. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but let's talk about what Loctite is. Loctite is liquid plastic. It's plastic that comes in a tube, Mm -hmm. and when it comes out of the tube, it's liquid. And when it sets, it's hard plastic. Not all of it is liquid. The one that the I've been ones. using yeah. is like chapstick. Yeah, I mean, but it amounts to it's viscous stuff, mm-hmm. and then it goes completely solid. And the idea is, is it forms this impenetrable barrier, so it becomes impossible for nuts and bolts to vibrate out. Wonderful. The thing to remember, and it is very, very tempting to use on any component within an engine that is subject to rotational or reciprocal movement put lots of red loctite on 
so it'll never come apart again. Well, that's all very well, but number one, if we talk about a vintage Triumph engine, those engines are very, very nicely machined, and they were designed before Loctite was really hmm. thought of, so they don't need it. And secondly, if you do want to make that extra step and use Loctite, less is more. So let's go back to this Triumph crank that I was playing around with. So a Triumph crank, the, the, the one hurdle that people need to overcome with vintage British engines is it's completely unfiltered oil. There is no oil filter on a British bike. If there is, somebody's put it on afterwards. And I'm not talking about the modern Triumphs. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the 650, the 750 Bonnevilles, Norton Commandos, and so on and so forth. Now, the late Commandos did gain an oil filter, but it was very, very late in the production run. So they there were various ways they mitigated oil contamination <coughs> and one of them was putting a very very fine gauze almost like the kind of gauze you'd see on a coffee filter on the output of the oil tank which got most of the big chunks out of it but the second was this thing in the crank called a sludge trap and what a sludge trap is there is a in a triumph crank it's quite a good size, about an inch hole drilled Wait. all the way through the crank. Are we talking about a kitchen fryer here? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and there is a hole drilled all the way through the crank journals. And there are two small holes in each journal that come off that feed the, the big end shells. But the oil gets pumped through this tube. However, within the tube <clears throat> is a second tube. So it's a tube within a tube mm -hmm. and the idea being is the sludge which is all the particles in the oil are captured within the smaller diameter tube however and they're contained within there so that that space between the smaller diameter and the outer diameter tube the oil can flow freely yeah, it wasn't a bad design and it served them quite well for a long time no doubt they figured out the dimensions by generators in lancaster aircraft during mm. the second world war however they number one when you own an english bike a vintage english bike you need to get used to changing the oil every 1500 miles and believe me 1500 miles comes by very very quickly but secondly you need to learn how to pull that sludge trap and in order to do the sludge trap You've got to strip the engine down. You know, it's one of those things. Um, so here we had this Triumph. And Hold on. Is this, is this a, a, a twin engine? Yes. Sounds like we need to take it off the list of well, no, best engine ever. No, no, no. It, it was, day, it was a good engine of its okay. day. So anyway, the owner of this Triumph had attempted... To pull the sludge trap. And the sludge trap is held in with a single bolt mm -hmm. with a little pip on the end of it. And this pip engages with a hole in the sludge trap and everything's hunky-dory. What had happened was they had been unable to pull the sludge trap out. So they just coated the bolt with lots and lots of red Loctite. I mean, lots of red Loctite. <coughs> and put it back in. The problem being... When they were screwing it in, 
the XS Loctite ran down and coated itself around the sludge strap. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh. So now it, glued, now it glued it in. Uh-oh. Oh, wow. While you're losing your voice, I'm going to jump in and talk about the different colors of Loctite and specifically yes. how they're specified. The red, as you're saying, is high-strength permanent adhesion. Select for high vibration applications where the components don't need to be disassembled in the future. It would be a KLR. Just use the red. And then the green is the same. Portland Breda. Blue, medium strength, removable with torque. Select to uh, ensure components don't come loose in the application. There's a possibility of disassembling the components in the future. Purple, low strength, easily removable. Yes, Bagel? And one point about the green, green is a Loctite that you can put on after the fasteners are tightened. Yeah. The red Loctite has to be put on before you fasten, fasten the tight, or tighten the fasteners. But for things you don't need to disassemble in the future. So that's yeah. why I find it interesting, Emma, that you are having to disassemble something. With red Loctite. With red Loctite on it. Yeah, but actually that was only half the, the story. All Loctite can be disassembled if you understand that it is plastic. Yep. And how do you dismantle plastic? A little bit you of You melt it. Yep. Yep. So by Heat heating up. up the bolt and melting the plastic, that's how we ultimately undid it. But there was a lot of Loctite on that bolt and a lot of Loctite in the sludge trap. In the end, there was no single fault with that crank. There was a lot of little stuff. The journals were a tiny bit out around. The right-hand one was a little bit scored. The end of the crank, there was oil bearing. Somebody had been pounding on it and knocked it a tiny bit out of round. Somebody had had one of their main bearing journals in a a vice and chewed it up a tiny bit. Nothing that was insurmountable, but when you added it all up, it's like, this crank's borderline... And I mm. said to the owner, I said, look, if we can pull this sludge trap out, I think it's worth saving. If we can't, I don't think so. And they agreed. And so we had to play with it. And it just, I couldn't even get the thing to move. So in the end, it was sayonara, Cranko. Oh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I think we need to continue this uh, wrongly used tools I think this is something... Keep on that list, John. Yeah. I think as we discover more things in the garage, and Emma's telling us we're doing it wrong, this is a good topic to share. Because these are things that... Yeah, um, I, I've i avoided the red Loctite because it says permanent. But then, as I saw Emma, like, oh, just apply heat. And it does say on the website, uh, it cannot be removed by simply applying torque, but requires special heat in combination with torque or special chemicals to disassemble the components after the red Loctite thread locker has been applied. And I, I didn't, I didn't realize that. So thank you for teaching me something new today, Emma. So why don't we go oh, on and, welcome. and do some, uh, some emails. Yeah, let's get some, some e- emails. Emma, do you have an email too? She does. I do indeed. Right, and it's, it's quite an interesting one. Go ahead. John, you want to get yours first? Yeah, I'll do that. Because this goes off to another conversation we we're having today. Right. So it's from Alexander Ramirez. Hey, Alex. Uh, he says, hello, Misfits. My friend has a 22 Royal Enfield Meteor 350. Oh, I think that's, we all like that bike. It's Meteor. It is Meteor. 
So the oil is recommended for it is 1550. He's having a hard time finding it locally. He's been ordering it off of Amazon, but would like to buy hmm. local. Is there a different weight he can use, or does he have to use 1550? We live in Minnesota, so when we ride, the temperature ranges from the 40s in the spring or fall to the low 90s in the summer. Not sure if the temperature is relevant to oil, but I thought I would throw it in here just in case it was. I love the pod, and I've been listening since 21. I'm listening to all the old episodes, and I'm currently on episode 315. Thank you. I'm hoping one day I'll be able to make it out to sunny Santa Cruz and meet you all, but until then, I'll keep listening to the pod. So um, let's have a brief talk about what the numbers mean with the oil. Can I ask you some questions first? So I assume on the Royal Enfield that it is the transmission in is shared with the engine oil. Oui. So it's not separate. No. Okay. So you do have to get motorcycle specific oil. Oui. And is fifteen fifty that rare? Oui. Okay. Great. I, those are some basics I wanted to cover. So um, here's what the numbers mean. So back in the dark days of motorcycle oil and pre-1960s, you chose your oil based on the viscosity of the oil. And the viscosity of the oil was expressed as a number. The higher the number, the thicker the oil. So if your motorcycle or your car specified 10-weight oil, you would notice that it's very, very thin. It's almost like pee-pee when it comes out of the bottle. <laughs> Conversely, if your transmission took 90-weight oil, particularly on a cold day, it would come out of the jug like treacle. Now, back... Why do you have to use bodily fluids? Treacle isn't a bodily fluid. Okay. Treacle pudding, darling. Okay. It's Christmas staple in England. Can I ask another question? What about treacle pudding? No. Oh. Can you take a 10 and a 20 to make a 15? No. Why not? Because you can't. But you can do that with <laughs> fork oil, right? Not really. I, I thought you can. Yeah, but fork oils, that's not really viscosity. That's weight. And that is, okay. a, that is a conversation for another time. That's what I'm here to ask the stupid S- questions. Yes. No, I know that. <laughs> and I enjoy them. Do you have any treacle pudding related quite no so um back then 30 weight was a very very common weight and it was a good compromise because it wasn't so thick and you know blah 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 so in the 1960s when the chemists got a hold of it and the the engineers and the boffins they realized they could come out with these hybrid oils that behaved like a very, very thin oil when the engine was cold. And the benefits of having thin oil when the engine is cold is usually the greediest part of your engine is at the top, the camshaft. The oil pump, because of the nature of a wet sump engine, when I say a wet sump engine, an engine that carries its oil in the engine, is at the bottom. So you want a nice thin oil to get up to the top quickly. The problem is when the engine gets hot, you actually want the benefits of the higher viscosity oil to provide that film, to provide that protection. So they came up with this oil that behaved like a thin oil when it was cold, like a 15 weight, and then behaved like a thick oil when it was hot, like a 50 weight. Wonderful. Wait, are those the two numbers? Yes. Oh. 
So a 1550 means that when it's cold, the oil behaves and has the viscosity of a 15-weight oil, very, very thin. But when it is hot, it has the hot oil characteristics of a 50-weight. Now, 50-weight oil, I want to... Your oil's not getting thicker as the bike's warming up. Because 50-weight oil, it might be like gooey treacle when it's cold. But believe me, when it's hot, it's nice and thin. So the oil's actually, it's still getting thinner as it gets hot, but it's not breaking down like a single-weight oil would. So, but there is some leeway here. Now, 1550 is quite common in the car world. In the motorcycle world, not so much. Your substitution, I'll make this simple. Your Royal Enfield will run very, very happily on 2050 motorcycle oil, which is very common because a lot of Harleys take 2050. It will also run very, very happily on 1040 weight oil. Out of the two, I feel I would go for the ten uh, for the twenty fifty, because you, your engine spends far more time hot than it does cold. So you want to match the viscosity of a hot oil. So buy twenty fifty, get it from any place. Make sure you buy motorcycle oil. This is key. Do not use car oil in your motorcycle unless your motorcycle has a clutch that is separated from the engine oil. Your oil Enfield does not. The clutch runs in engine oil. You must use motorcycle engine oil. 2050, your bike will take you for it. Two questions on this. So the first is, if he's under warranty, is he better off going to the Royal Enfield dealer and getting the right oil just until he's out of the the warranty phase? Now, you know, in my experience, and all dealers are different in my experience i found most royal enfield dealers pretty mellow about warranty you know you have to remember there's not a lot of royal enfield dealers just like when i was stranded in the middle of the country and there were no ktm dealers you had to go to another state i just always heard nightmares about dealers getting Uh, loopholes on that kind of stuff no No, i think as long as you can prove with due diligence that you've used a reasonable quality oil and you've changed the oil at proper intervals they'll on your warranty all right there you go emma you got a good one there yeah i do um and this is from david hi david um and david says i have a 1995 FLH Electroglide, mm-hmm. and it's fouling the front plug. Oh. It was running perfect just a month ago, and now it's fouling the front plug only. I have changed out the plug wires, no difference. Anything else you can suggest? When I put in new plugs, it runs great till the pr- front plug fouls. Power is not as much as it was either. Ah, now that's the key. I'm going to take a guess. Yes. Air fuel mixture no, is off? No, no, okay. no, no. <clears throat> Clean, uh, change out the air air intake. No. Oh, I'm trying. Okay. Here's a very, very quick diagnostic on this bike. How many cylinders does an Electroglide have? Two. How many carburetors does it have? One. There you go. So it can't be the carburetor because the back, fl- back cylinder would foul the plug. Two. Okay. Yeah, I'm following you. What, how many coils does it have? One. One. So 
it may it could be it's the just out- one coil with two, two outputs. outputs. It may be the output on the coil. That's unlikely. Too, right? He's changed them. Oh. And he's changed plugs as well. Um, Did he change the cap when he changed the wire? Yes, he would have changed the cap. Hmm? David, I am going to throw a wrench in your works. You need to do a compression check. Oh. You've got to do a compression mm. check, honey, because I think you've got a burnt valve. And what compression would he be looking for when he does it? Mm. Oh, at least mm. 180. Okay. So the way to do a compression take is, is take both the plugs out. Mm-hmm. And make sure, because this is a carburetted bike, so you want to make sure that the plug wires are away from everything. What I would actually do is put spark plugs in the plug the caps, caps right. and just direct them away from everything. All right? So now you have two empty spark plug holes. Hold the throttle wide and crank it. Okay. With a wide throttle. On the back cylinder first, because that will give you the figure you're aiming for. And I think the the uh, compression meter will go up to 180 very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. I think when he does it on the front, it's going to be low. Mm. The one thing about Harleys, you know, they've got hydraulic valve lifters. And they can burn out valves. So it'd be more of a valve than a rings, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think you can get that front cylinder head off with the engine and the bike. In fact, I know you can. So, I mean, it's a big job, but it's not like a massive job. I mean, it's a pain in the ass job. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's got dual fire ignition, it may be an ignition problem. But, it, you know, from his description... Usually ignition problems, they kind of work or they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like it's just fouling. So there's some super, super fat condition in the front, which is generally caused by valves not seating correctly. Sorry. There you go. Emma's top tip. Well, it may be. You know, it's always very, very hard to diagnose bikes without having them in front. But if this arrived at Moto Town, and from check. this, that's the very check. first thing I do. Yep. I do a compression check, and then I would follow it up with a leak down test. Mm. And Let's a leak down test is where you put the cylinder at top dead center, you introduce about 40 PSI into the cylinder, and then you it's simple. You listen at the exhaust pipe, and if you hear, you've got a burnt exhaust valve. Mm-hmm. If that's silent, you move on to the air filter and you listen at the air filter. If you you've got a burnt intake valve. Still no noise? Take out the oil filler plug and listen at the crankcase. You got bad rings. Mm. That was a top tip. That's how um, you do a leak down. I got one more. It's a quick one. Yes. <clears throat> this one is from Boss Lady in California. Hey, Boss Lady. Uh, says, I was changing out the fork seals on my KTM 690 Enduro today. And when I removed the forks, uh, separated them, I noticed some pressurized vapor coming out when I loosened the top uh, top screw. Um but I don't see in the instructions uh, how to put the pressure back in. So for Boss Lady, is there is there an added 
pressure put in. I know some forks you actually apply you, you, air pressure. Yes, you can add nitrogen to but them. But this was n- does not have a valve no on the top. Yeah. No. It's, it's So how do you put the pressure back in? Um it's 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 a it's a specialized job for a specialized person like um Jason. And I want to make sure Oh, really? Uh, yes. And I want to make sure that um boss lady understands that that hissing Mm-hmm. may not actually be coming from the forks. It may have been coming from her bottom because the she Vindaloo, right? had been eating burritos <laughs> earlier in the day. Yeah, that Was it a... accompanied by an eggy smell by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, a, and a whiff of menthol. <laughs> <laughs> They're not... Um, here's a Miss Emma top tip. Recallers are not suppositories. <laughs> not... Suppository. Not necessarily, but they well, can there be. might be recreational suppositories, <laughs> exactly. but there is no medicinal value in sticking a lozenge well, up it, your doesn't bottom. Doesn't it make sure the gerbil has good breath? Okay. Oh, God. Oh, no. That's just right. John. Richard Gear. Love you, Richard. You're so dated. <laughs> I think Very it's time <laughs> to wrap that up. Thank you for that, um, for all of your advice, Emma. You were actually very helpful today. Which means that normally I'm quite a hindrance, I suppose. You have your moments, but today <laughs> I mean, it was a good day. You were quite helpful. Well, but, no, because... And, and be able to manage your time between everyone asking for help. Well, I was trying to. I did feel I neglected Chris a little bit. And I did promise Mikey Miranda, Mikey three times, I would look, at, look after Chris. But one can only spread oneself so thin. But his bike was running good when he left. Though. No, that thing was running like a little champ. Yep. Um... No, I'm excited because it's nearly time for Emma's Alpine Adventure. I know. You have me for one more week, and then I will be back in August relaying tales of daring do with Italian drivers. And then I'm going to be leaving. Yes. Heading back over to Europe for a few weeks. So fantastic. We are the action-packed podcast. Where else do you get content like this? Oh, Quick announcement. Yes. Hey, ladies, listen up. Hey, ladies. If you're interested in going to Pakistan, Moines got room on this year's Chickistan. Yes, I'm not going. This is the first year I am not going on the Chickistan trip. And there are a few women who are going. This is in September. But he's got uh, he's got some openings. He's looking for at least three more women who want to go. Do it. This Do is it. trip of a lifetime. We can all attest to that. And yep. he's uh, he's got some really special things planned, including going to visit the hostel where we gifted those bikes and oh, to help teach some of the girls how to ride them. Because we were there at the end of the year. They got put in storage and nobody has shown them how to ride them. And you know what's powering those, mi- those bikes there? Vindaloo. Honda 70cc. That's right. Vindaloo, <laughs> John. So if you have any questions or interest at all, reach out to me at motorcyclesandmisfits at gmail.com, or you can just head on over to a different agenda.com. And you, and you and should, but you should point out, this is not a particularly high dollar trip, is no. it? No. If no. you can afford a used motorbike, you can afford this trip and i think that's a hallmark of all the misfits trip whether it's chickistan whether it's stumperstan whether it's cat alpine adventure scooterstan scooterstan whether vietnam in the fall these are affordable trips they're very high on exotic value 
they're very high on adventure but if you can afford a used <laughs> motorbike you can go on one of our trips and that's very deliberate that we made them that way so there you go reach out to me motorcycles and misfits at gmail.com Tra-la-la. i'll answer all your questions and more besides so I think we're ready to wrap it up. Thanks There's to our Patreon subscribers. Show, yes, exactly. Yeah. Patreon subscribers. Those guys! You're the best. Of the best. And also, Manscaper. Get your Manscaped. <laughs> <laughs> I had fun I had fun trying it out, but Jim kept giggling every time. I know. I He's guess. sensitive down there. Did you, did you try it out on your testicles? No, on Jim's. Jim's. Oh, on Joe God. <laughs> <laughs> he was slipping off his motorcycle seat when he was left too. Did you see that? <laughs> <laughs> he had no more grip. Yeah, well, I, I ar- armoraled them afterwards. <laughs> that's why they were shiny, <laughs> oh <my laughs> shiny and smooth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is just wrong on so many levels. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us, and also for all the people who are sending in pictures of them in uh, in our, our shirts. Like Chuck, thank you so much. I'm enjoying them so much keep them coming and uh, also if you haven't yet please go leave a review and let people know about our show I think that's it keep the emails coming oh yeah that's it you ready to get out of here I am thank you everybody let's get out of here this is Liza Emma Darling Stumpy McScooter Bagel we are out of here cool cool, cool.